Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Your welcome is brought to you for free today by our friends at Bet Online. Get in the mix at BetOnline.ag and use the promo code Podcast One for your 50% welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Uncle Jill, Uncle Jill There's no bad guy like Uncle Jill Never lost, not even around Undefeated, undisputed Oh yeah, here comes the bad guy Uncle Jill, Uncle Jill There's no bad guy like Uncle Jill What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Kevin Lee and Charles Oliver, I liked the fight. I thought it was great. I really did. Look, Kevin Lee is one of these guys on any given day, he's going to beat anybody in the world. And in fairness, I haven't seen Oliveira fighting this well ever. Oliveira, if you go back and follow his career, seemed like one of these guys who didn't know how good he was. Early on, it seemed as though he was a little hesitant to the big time. He, he, he wasn't sure that he was quite ready for it. And he kind of figured things out in front of our eyes. I thought it was a great fight. I thought the stand-up was great. Kevin was finding his target. Oliver was using that range. I mean, this was just a real back-and-forth battle. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Oliver ends up with a guillotine choke. Chokes Kevin out. Okay. So, Oliver wins. But... I think that the bigger story was the way this was shot. I mean, it seemed as though the production was ever bit as interesting as the actual matches. So they go to Brazil and there's no crowd whatsoever, but they use the same bill. So they got this great, big, beautiful building. The way that they supplemented that was they blacked it out, made everything dark, and then did what's called shooting tight. So you really just, you know, there's no real establishing shot. You're just right on top of the competitors. I thought it was great. Never seen a sporting event like that. Thought it was fun. I also think it's a sign of things to come. I thought it gave it a real ultimate fighter-esque type feel to it. But it also made, uh, you know, some of the energy for the interviews was surprisingly elevated. Even in lack of an audience and an applause, you could see it in the athletes. Go and see the Gilbert Burns interview. Gilbert Burns fights Damian Maya. Gilbert catches him, knocks Maya out with a hook. But then he does an interview afterwards. I mean, he was beaming. He was glowing. I think there was probably an awkwardness for the athletes being in there. I think that their relief when it was over was perhaps accentuated. But you were able to capture that with the post-fight interview. I mean, you could see a real happiness, a a genuine emotion with these athletes after they won. Then Gilbert calls out Colby Covington, and he was hot. I mean, it was a hot call out. I want to say like he cursed at him a little bit. That's an interesting fight. I don't know that I think that that fight is going to happen, but Gilbert Burns is now on some big win streak, four, five, six in a row, getting... Wins over tough guys, but now over very notable guys. 
I mean, you get a win over Damian Maia. Damian Maia's fought for two world championships in two different weight classes. It means something. And also with that fight, Damian Maia had alluded that this was going to be his last fight. Now, he hadn't set that in stone, but he had alluded to it. Hey, I want one more. I want it in Brazil. He had a specific opponent. If I remember right, he even wanted to fight Diego Sanchez. That didn't happen. He ends up with Gilbert Burns, and he ends up getting beat. So he is now, today named three opponents who he would like to face in a retirement fight. Now, I don't know where any of that goes, and Damian Maia has had a spectacular career. For me as a viewer and a fan, the more, the more I get to see Damian Maia, the better. But the other side of the coin is, one wish that I would have for Maia is that he not be insistent that he go out with a victory. And the only reason I say that there are some guys, look, when you're done, you are done. But if you stick around to go out the right way, which nobody ever does, unless your name Lennox Lewis or George St. Pierre, welcome to the club. You are not going to go out the way that you want to, likely. So what does that mean? Does that mean you do one more and one more and one more? And now all of a sudden, instead of going out on a loss, you go out on five losses? And all of a sudden, instead of being motivated and going in there fully prepared, you go in there unmotivated and unprepared, hoping for a lesser opponent of which you did not get. I'm not suggesting these things or the spot that Maya is in. I will just share with you, it's a real piece of the psychology that many athletes go through, and Maya happens to be in the forefront of it right now. There's not a promoter out there who is looking to send a guy off with a kiss goodbye. That's not how it works. There's a few rules of the business, but one of the primary rules is you pass the torch before you leave, period. And if you're not willing to do it on your own, then the boss is going to do it for you. But he is not giving somebody on a farewell an opponent from the bottom of the deck so that the guy can wave to the crowd and move on. It would make no kind of sense. There would be no ROI. And the only commodity that the promoter has is not only the athlete, it's the performance of his athlete. So you would not say goodbye to one guy, on purpose at least, while keeping around the guy who came in second. I would encourage Maya, though I think it's a little bit too late, I would encourage Maya, if he has a hand-picked opponent who he believes his skills match up with, he should have called out that opponent. That would have been interesting. That would have even been compelling because Damian Maya is one of the more quiet guys in the history of the sport. So if Damian Maya went and did a call-out, it would be a little bit of a, oh, what is there to see here? Now, if he secretly had the hope that that was going to be his last fight, Reveal it at the end. But he put himself in a very tough situation to say, these are the guys that I want for my send-off fight because I believe I will win that fight. Not much of a story there. Kevin Lee and Charles Oliveira, this thing was a mess to the highest of levels. I mean, first off, they go over to Brazil for the fight, okay? Get hit with the news. No fans are going to be there. So now you're walking into an empty and quiet arena. I think this is a question, and I'm not certain that I have the answer for it. But I do think it's worth us all pondering, which is, does that affect a fighter's performance? If you go and do something that you are not used to doing, no matter what level of athlete you are, if you go and do something in such a contentious environment, and that environment is now different than what you were used to it being, is that good or bad? I think, and I'm not sure that there's a blanket answer there. I could see where some guys, it would alleviate a pressure. 
alleviate a stress. I can hear my coach. Sure, I can hear the other guy's coach. I can hear the guy breathing. I can hear these punches hitting me. This is extremely awkward, but I'm in hostile territory. There's no one here. How hostile is it? Maybe it's better. And then you would have a different kind of a guy who's a bright lights guy. A guy who loves and feeds off that energy, positive or negative, cheers or boos, but he likes that attention. And he rises to that occasion. He can feed off of it one more round, get up one more time, dig a little bit deeper, one more combination because of the roar and the energy of the audience. That's a very real thing. I don't know what side of that that I would sit on. I feel as though. I feel as though because I came up, and I'm personalizing this, I'm trying to answer it for myself. I came up as an amateur wrestler. The only people that ever came out to wrestling events were the parents of my teammates or the parents of our opponents. So I don't know that for me personally, competing in front of next to nobody would be anything unusual. But I can also share for you when you start to get to compete in the larger arenas, there is a real energy to that. And I don't know a better word to use than energy. It's a very real thing. You'll know it when you see it. But there is something to that that can push you a little bit further. So let's go back and take a look at this fight. Everybody's equal. Whatever side of that question you fall on, it's still equal because your opponent's got to do it too. Kevin Lee gets out there and he runs out of time. And now I'm talking about the weigh-in. He runs out of time. And that's what he said. He said, look, the weight was coming off and I was still sweating, but the clock was ticking. I... I had to strip down and get on the scale and I was over. But I do think that the weight is very real as it pertains to Kevin. Because I believe Kevin's a 170 pounder. I believe Kevin should be fighting at 170. I believe that will take a little bit of time. I do believe he would be a little smaller than some of the other 170 pounders. But as young as he is and as hard as he works, if he made a commitment to 170, when I say it will only take a little bit of time, that's very real. It's only going to take a little bit of time. And I just think psychologically as well, uh, well as wear and tear on his body, 170 pounds is going to allow him to not only enjoy his career, it's going to allow him to extend his career. That is an absolute grind to make weight. It is an absolute fight. It is a battle to the highest of levels. There is why there is so much drama around it. It is why it is televised. I don't think there is a produced show in the history of content with less props than a weigh-in. Two guys walk out. There's a scale. That's a show. It's a show because of what those guys are going through to get there. It's a show because of the drama. Will he make it? Will he not? It's a show because of the fines that take place. It's a show because of the fact the entire bout could be off. I mean, there is drama at the highest of level. Crowds come out. Thousands of people come out to watch two guys step onto a prop known as a scale. Have you ever thought about it in those terms? I mean, it's a very interesting thing. So that is a battle. As John Annick calls it, it is a necessary evil to our sport. And a guy can only make weight so many times. You'd be surprised. The weigh-in for a combat athlete Broad stroke will largely end somebody's career sooner than the competition itself. Now, I don't believe that Kevin is in jeopardy of that, but he is one of these guys that sits right in between. 155 is just a little bit too much to pull. 170 is just a little bit bigger than he's comfortable with. If you'll remember, 
when the phenomenon was out of the discussion of Dana. Please create a 165. You'll remember when that was out. But there was a lot of guys saying, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'll sign up for that class right now. Kevin was one of those guys. And the only reason I bring that story up is just to point out for you, he just sits right in between. Right in between. So it's tough. But I do think that decision has to be made. And Kevin takes losses so hard. He's not in this for the fame or the money. He is a straight-up competitor. Puts everything into it. And he did an interview. It broke my heart. He did an interview after the fight. And he barely got through it. This was really tough for him. He wanted to be anywhere else than in front of those cameras. He wanted to get to the hotel, shut the lights off, be by himself. And he said, you guys may not see me for a little bit. It, it may It may be a period of time before you see me compete again. Now, that's going to go away. In fact, that's going to swing very hard the other way to where he's dying to get in there and the sooner the better. I'm just sharing for you, if we're to put this in conjunction of what I'm saying and what Kevin is saying, and we put these together, I think we've come to our answer. If he's going to step back just for a minute, okay, and I'm saying it's going to take just a minute to be the appropriate size for 170, it sounds like we're saying the same thing. And I do think, particularly with the last couple of years that Kevin has had, the loss of his coach, the moving of gyms, which, by the way, is out of the country, unfamiliar surroundings, everything's going great. I mean, Kevin is really fighting at a very good level right now, but 155 pounds is the most stacked division in the sport. It's also the most complicated division in the sport. Charles Oliveira just complicated the division even more. Not only is 155 the most complicated division in mixed martial arts right now, it's the most complicated division in the history of mixed martial arts. Have you guys ever thought about it in these terms? Look at the great fighters that are so fed up because there's nothing else that they could do to get a title shot. They're so mad they're about to take their oars out of the water. In any other era, Dan Hooker is a number one contender, period. In any other era, Justin Gaethje is fighting for a title, period. In any other era, What Charles is doing, what Poirier has accomplished. I didn't even mention the big three. Connor, Khabib, and Tony in any other era. Everybody I just said is a main event fighter fighting for titles. Fighting for championships. But they all happen to be born around the same time, and they all happen to be in the same weight class, and they all happen to be in the same organization. The timing could not be any worse. I I know a guy. You guys want to hear a bad timing story? (laughs) I'll tell you. I'll tell you a bad timing story. There's a guy named Jim Grunewald. Jim Grunewald is one of the best wrestlers I have ever worked with. We were teammates at the Olympic Training Center. Jim Grunewald never won a damn thing, and I do mean nothing. He never won districts. He never won a state tournament. He never won a national tournament. He never won anything. Why? Because seven miles away was a guy the exact same age who happened to do the same sport in the exact same weight class named Dennis Hall. Dennis Hall was a three-time Olympian, an Olympic silver medalist, a world champion. So every single event for Grunewald's entire life that he went to, there's his neighbor with the same dream who happens to weigh the same thing. 
Dennis Hall ends up retiring. Grunewald ends up making two Olympic teams. In fact, to tell that story just a slight bit more accurate, the one time when Grunewald finally beat Dennis Hall happened to be in the final wrestle-off for an Olympic team. How's that for bad timing? Did you know that many conventional deodorants contain aluminum, which forms a plug in your sweat glands and keeps you from sweating? Guys, that's not good. Native's deodorant is made without aluminum so you can feel better about what you're putting on your body. It's made with ingredients that you've heard of, like coconut oil and shea butter. Making and switching to aluminum-free deodorant does not mean you have to sacrifice on performance. Native will keep you smelling and feeling fresh all day long. Native comes in a wide variety of options for men, women, and even for teens. With over 10 cents, including their classic and rotating seasonals, you're guaranteed to find one that you love. I have been using Native ever since I learned about them, and it's worked great. I've been using the Citrus and Herbal Musk. It's a nice fragrant without being too pungent or overwhelming. If you want to give Native's products a try and help support the show, we've got a discount for you. For 20% off of your purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com. Use the promo code CHAIL during checkout. That's nativedeodorant.com, promo code CHAIL. The NCAA canceled the NCAA National Wrestling Championships. Now, for anyone that doesn't follow wrestling, this is wrestling season. So we made it all the way through the conference championships. As a matter of fact, the seeds came out for the national tournament. So I'm just to put this in perspective, timeline-wise, the only thing to do is to, to have the matches. I mean, everything's done. Who's going? Who's in what weight class? What schools? Only thing left is to have the matches. So the NCAA comes out and they go, okay, we're going to have the tournament. Tournament moves forward, but refund all the tickets. And the NCAA Wrestling Championship is the most well-attended wrestling event on earth. The Olympic Games for wrestling don't sell out. The NCAA tournament, three-day tournament, every session, absolutely full. It's, it's a great hit. And it's something very important for the sport of wrestling, which, in, in fairness, is certainly a smaller tier sport. So they, the, the NCAA then comes out, uh, maybe the next day, at the most two days later, and they set events off. The event is just flat done. You go, oh my goodness. First off, what happens now? I mean, what do you do? Could you imagine being, and don't forget this is amateur, which does change things at least sympathetically. I mean, it does change things. Imagine that you sacrificed your entire life. You made it to the highest of levels, which is Division One. You then made it through the season. Let's say you're a senior. One tournament left with all of your goals and dreams on the line. And then it gets taken away. What do you do? So the NCAA comes out, and they didn't make this official, but they certainly alluded to the fact that, look, we actually have a mechanism in place where we can forgive and we can basically give you a year back. Come back next year. Your eligibility is not up. We'll keep the clock going. Now, that's really great, but that's going to require some thought. Because 
who gets that year? Only seniors? Only guys that made it to the tournament? Or everybody under the scope of the NCAA? Because you'd have to give it to everybody. You'd have to. Otherwise, you're not just screwing up the guy who made it to the postseason tournament, the Nationals. He's got a backup somewhere in the room. Let's say his backup is a junior or his backup is a sophomore. Great wrestler. Looking for an opportunity, but he's going to need this guy in front of him to graduate. If that guy's clock also doesn't get extended, I mean, do you see the problem? Do you see the domino effect problem? I don't argue for you, even though I'm telling you this with an annoyed tone, and I'm aware of that undertone. I'm actually not arguing for you that the NCAA did anything wrong here. Very tricky spot. Somebody had to make a decision. A decision was made. I would suggest, or I would have suggested, that you don't cancel, you postpone. Unless you're planning to cancel, I mean, don't forget, it's the national tournament for 2020, which means you can hold that damn thing anywhere in 2020. The season kicks off in mid-September. So unless you were planning to cancel what I guess would be viewed as next year's season, because it would then spill over to 2021, unless you plan to cancel that, then you're saying at some point we do plan to have wrestling. If you do plan to have wrestling, you got to have the damn tournament. You got to have the tournament. So let's say the world just gets in a weird place. I understand those things, but if that's down the road, then that seems to me is something you would revisit down the road. This would be my wish. I don't maintain that leadership actually did anything wrong. Tough spot. Clock was ticking. Somebody's got to say yes or no. Somebody's got to say up or down. Somebody did. That's actually what leadership is. So well done in all fairness. Wouldn't it be nice, though, if we were just postponing? They were even talking about this for the Olympic Games, that the Olympics could be canceled. Go, you know, why, why are we using that word? Why are we using the word right now of cancel as opposed to postponed? And if we do cancel, do we cancel? It comes around every four years. Do we cancel until 2024 or do we just move it to 2021 if that's a viable option? Are we so locked around the concept that it must take place every four years that we can't have a one-off in an odd year of 2021? It would just seem like some of these conversations are a little bit too extreme. And I think that there's a mess. I realize nobody's happy about this. But this is one of those things that has to be handled with a tremendous amount of heart. I will tell you, I don't think of myself as a sports fan. Turns out I'm a hell of a sports fan. I did not know how much I loved sports. I didn't know how much I counted on sports. I didn't know how many conversations I felt, uh, find myself in just on a social level, on a daily basis that has something to do with sports until it was all gone. I think many of you are feeling that same way. I think maybe we all come out of this with a little bit different appreciation. Be a little bit more grateful for the things you have. Because you're going to miss a lot of things if they're gone. The kids on the underground have a question of the day. 
And today's question was, is there bad blood after a fight? Which I interpret to mean, if you have bad blood, doesn't a fight resolve it? Which you would think, yes. I mean, isn't that the ultimate resolution? It's essentially what this sport is. And we can hide it that it's a sport hidden between the punches and the kicks. But ultimately, you have dispute and you have dispute resolution. I mean, in some ways, it's a more athletic approach to the people's court. The same reason you would watch the people's court for a dispute and then to find out what the resolution is, is in large part why you would watch an MMA contest for the dispute and then said resolution and everybody walks away. So I can tell you, I can think of a few fights where it made, it made the feud worse. And that generally you would think comes from the loser. But the couple of fights that come right to my mind was actually done because of the winner. The winner over-celebrating or the winner rubbing the loser's nose in it or the winner, you know, pounding their chest and now they're all mad again. Brock Lesnar versus Frank Mir, part two, comes to mind. Khabib versus Connor, part one, comes to mind. Khabib might actually be the ultimate one. I mean, everything that Khabib went through, I mean, he was assaulted. He was attacked. He was jumped on the streets or at least an attempted jumping. Landed Connor in handcuffs. They go fight. Khabib wins, grabs all the money, grabs all the fame, grabs the world championship, maintains an undefeated record. I mean, you would think that would be a glorious moment. No, Khabib was pissed. Khabib comes flying over, yells at Connor, flies over the cage, jumps into Dan. I mean, you guys know the story from there. I'm just sharing with you. And then who was it over the weekend? Was it Monaco? Somebody fought over the weekend one early. Like a takedown into a rear naked choke, all wrapped up within the first few minutes, and then began screaming at his opponent to the point that officials had to get in and push him back. And then he was trying to push through officials. I mean, that athlete was one step from having a uh, his license revoked. I mean, he was getting that. He was pushing through officials. You cannot touch an official. Make no mistake about that. You cannot touch your athlete. Period. Outside of the confined time. That is when it is permitted. Anything else would be known as an assault. Now, he didn't do that. He didn't get to the athlete. He was verbally accosting him. I'm just sharing for you, there was a little bit of a surprise, at least for me, because this was the winner who behaved that way. So, no, I I can't tell you that all bad blood... I want to answer the kids on the undergrounds question. I cannot tell you that all bad blood goes away, but generally, yes, generally that is the resolution, no matter how hot you come into things. There's a shake of the hands, a tip of the hat, oftentimes even a a hug, and everybody goes on their way. More recent story, Wei Li and Joanna fight in the most knockdown, drag out, high volume of punches and kicks, 25-minute war ever. They then end up sharing a hospital together. And the only thing that separated them was a curtain. And Wei Li had spoke about it and said how terrible she felt because she could hear Joanna. And Joanna was so sad. She was crying. She was very sad because of the outcome. She wanted it so bad. It made Wei Li feel bad. So that would be the opposite of bad blood. That would be what you would call sportsmanship, which is generally how it's done. 
but I don't know that there is a blanket answer where you could say that it is going to create more of a feud or that it's going to bury a feud. I think that it's a select few where it actually enhances and creates an anger. I think that we could all wish that sportsmanship would be acknowledged, that you'll look to the scorecards when you're done. Whoever's got more points gets their hand raised when you all walk away. They will always tell you this isn't personal or this shouldn't be personal. And those are very nice words to use. But how if you have a goal and an aspiration and the other person has an alike goal with an alike aspiration and you have to go out there and do combat to try to see your goal become a reality, how is that not personal? This is Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Hiring is a challenge, but there's one place you can go to hire where it's simple, it's fast and smart, a place where growing businesses connect with qualified candidates. The place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Sonnen. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply for your job. You can even add screening qualifications to your job while listening so that you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within 24 hours. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. If you're one of my listeners, simply go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Sonnen. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-O-N-N-E-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash Sonnen. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now back to your welcome with Chael Sonnen. There was a suggestion that somebody had that I heard about. And it pertains to Tony versus Khabib and the fact that that just absolutely must take place. Not only for the sport, for the fans, for the business, for the division, for the storylines, for the development. Finally get the interim champion in there with the undisputed champion and get this thing over with. The point of the story, though, went even a step further saying if we're going to do it on pay-per-view, we could just do that one match. And... I do not share with you that there's a part of me that believes that that is what's going to happen. I just want to speak to the concept of could. Could you just have the one match? And it is a little bit, it is a little bit tough because it's not totally unheard of. Now, hear me out because I realize I'm going to make, I'm going to compare apples to oranges here, but hear me out anyway. In the world of, say, concerts, okay? You're going to have your main act, and you're going to have a whole bunch of warm-up acts that absolutely nobody wants to hear. I was at a George Strait concert that everybody came to see the gentleman, and they had an opening act by a 16-year-old girl, and absolutely nobody was in there to hear her, but she was given a major opportunity. She ran with that opportunity, and that young lady happens to be named Taylor Swift, and she's the hottest act in the business today. But I will just share with you until that time comes. Nobody's coming to hear you. And quite frankly, they don't even want to. It's annoying. If you guys have ever been to a concert that's supposed to start at 8 o'clock and by 9.30, Rihanna hasn't hit the stage yet, you're a little bit pissed off. I did not buy a ticket for any of this. None of this was advertised to me. I don't want to see it. 
if any of you have ever tuned in for a sporting event and whoever the organizer of the event then brings out a marching band, when they told you it would start at 8, doors at 7, you got there early, you're sitting in the cold, and now you got to watch some damn 12-year-old marching band that you never agreed to see. But event organizers will never quit making this mistake. If I buy a ticket for Rihanna, just bring on Rihanna. Okay, the point I'm trying to make is shows are largely main event heavy, for sure. And you sit through a lot of other stuff. And in MMA, between Dana and Coker, I mean, we have been spoiled to get what's called a main card, to get five of these feature bouts. In boxing, they never do that. And most people for the really big fights only show up. I mean, it's like a thing of magic, whether you're watching it on TV or you're live in the arena. It is literally like a thing of magic. I'm in the arena. I have the foggiest idea when Mike Tyson's about to walk out. Somehow, 10,000 other people knew right when he was going to walk out and five minutes before came in and took their seat. A venue that was absolutely empty is now absolutely packed. I don't, I've never known how they know how to do that. I've never known. Connor and Floyd was the same way. Last big boxing fight I went to, the one before that that I was there live was Pacquiao Marquez Part 4. Same exact way. Absolutely empty. And I swear to goodness, I mean, they just come down from the rafters and the building's full. But my point is, there is definitely an audience. Who knows exactly what they want to see? They want to see these two guys. They got a dispute. They're going to have dispute resolution. We all understand the rules. Somebody say go. And nobody leaves pissed off. But I could tell you another time, historically, where that wasn't true. There was a time when Mike Tyson made his comeback. Mike Tyson knocked out five guys and he knocked them all out in the very first round. And because the whole rest of the boxing card was so atrocious, and nobody watched it and wanted to watch it anybody, nobody but a ticket to buy it. They were all there to see Iron Mike. People that weren't there live were watching at home. They're throwing a party. They got the pizzas. They got the sodas. They got the friends over. Three minutes later, everybody gets up and goes home. Your party's ruined. It was so bad that DirecTV, who was one of the leading carriers at that time when Mike got on this run, came out and told everybody for Mike's next fight, if Mike knocks this guy out in the first round, I will give you half your money back. 50% of your, I would, comes right off your bill. Because they were having a hard time getting people to buy a Mike Tyson fight and throw a party for less than three minutes of action, where a ring walk and a post fight interview is longer than the actual action. So there is times where that's a problem. Another fine example may be Cain Velasquez versus Junior Dos Santos, part one, first night ever on Fox. It ends in like 61 seconds. By the way, it was an upset. New champion. Nobody thought it was good. Now you've got an entire show for 61 seconds. So I can see where sometimes there would be problems. But when you're solving a different problem, and a pay-per-view window would be one of those. I mean, that is elective to the highest of levels. When you're banning the audience from coming, now you haven't upset your live house. And when you have so many people that have waited so many damn years and four swings at bat, four strikeouts, now we got number five. We gotta just we've gotta get an answer between these two maniacs. Who's better? We gotta have this match. It's not the most crazy concept. Grappling has tested this more recently. Rob Zebs was behind something. Was that Studio 540, Studio 510? I forget the numbers. I forget the three numbers. But there was a match that they wanted to see in grappling uh, with Philippe versus Gordon Ryan. There was no car. There was no ticket sold. There was no, you guys come in the gym. I'm going to stream this. I'm going to air it live. 
If I get one minute of action or I get an hour of action, this is what it is. And I'm going to disclose it to the audience, shake hands, let's go. And they did. And it was great. And they did a couple of more matches that exact same way. I'm not suggesting for you that that's what's going to happen, but I'm also not suggesting for you that it's the world's craziest idea. I think that this industry is going to learn something on accident through some of the turmoil that we're going through. I think it's going to learn that you can do a small house show over and over. That cutting down on your setup costs greatly offsets your production costs. Figure travel into that. I think you're going to see a lot of shows out of the apex. That's just what I am predicting for you. And I don't just mean now, in these weird times. I think they're going to get through these weird times and look around and go, wait a minute, this is a great way to do a show. Ultimate Fighter is some of the greatest fights ever. Dana White Contender Series produces some of the greatest stars. Why, why, why aren't we just doing more shows in the Apex? I think you're going to learn something by this. And I don't know that we'll ever get to the extreme where you just have one fight. I think that that would be for a very extreme time, such as right now. I want to predict for you that that's going to happen. But if you were to give me another option that was a little bit harder, where you just go, okay, Chael, here's the choice and you make the decision. Khabib and Tony don't fight on April 18th. They don't fight. Hey, Jeff, Khabib and Tony do fight on April 18th. It's going to be at the Apex, and that's the only fight that takes place. Looks like we're watching one fight. What did, what did Colby Covington just do? Did Colby Covington accidentally just strike again? Okay, so Leon Edwards, England, supposed to fight Tyron. Not going to be able to do that. Okay, great. Going to move the show, going to bring Leon over to America. He's going to fight Tyron over here. Not going to be able to do that. In the meanwhile of that, Colby inserts himself and says, well, if Leon's not going to do it, I will. Now, that's a fight for many reasons that nobody can turn down. If that falls into your lap and you're a promoter or a fan or a media member, you gobble that one right up. And Colby drops it right in their lap. I'll do it. Short notice, it's enough notice. I'll do it. You kind of got to do that fight. And then when you have the backstory, Colby was an interim champion. Tyron was the world champion. Both an American top team. I believe cross paths in there. I just, I believe they must have worked out at some point. Just because same weight class, same gym. That's a guess on my part. I haven't heard any of those training stories, but. There's just a lot on that. Oh, and by the way, Colby has nothing to do and is willing to do this, says he can make weight, not trying to negotiate and make it a three-round fight. He'll do all five. All the rules any way you want to do them, and I'll see you in two weeks. You have to take that. You can't look away. Here's what I'm asking. Did Colby just take a fight from Leon? I mean, Leon deserves a big fight, right? Tyron. Is always going to be in a big fight. Tyron's a world champion. Tyron's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Tyron's on TV. Tyron's rapid and video. Whatever, whatever Tyron Woodley does is going to be a big deal. Did Colby, did he just get old Leon bumped? I mean, it would be so sad. Leon Edwards has done everything right. Leon Edwards takes a three-piece and a soda from Masvidal. Leon Edwards stays one of the boys who's quietly not lost in, I think, four years. In his last losses to the defending champion, Kamaru Usman, he takes a three-piece and a soda in the back, 
stays one of the boys. The guy that gave him the three-piece in the soda becomes the biggest star in the whole sport. I mean, some, something, ha- something good has to happen to Leon. It just does. I think we all owe it to Leon. I think we were all cheering for Leon. Oh, great, Leon got a main event. He's going to take on the former world champion. He gets to do it at home, like all of these things. And then, you know, how are the result goes of that fight? But th- that's between those two. I'm saying the rest of us have a responsibility to make sure something good happens to Leon. We did our part. It was just about to happen to him. Did Colby just come take it to him? You got to answer that question because this is a very real question. Colby is now in a, some kind of a dispute with Tyron, and Tyron has even responded. Tyron said, you talked all that trash, and now it's time to pay the piper. Tyron accepted the fight. But Tyron already has a fight with Leah. See where it's a mess? So what do you do? And I'm not asking, what does Dana do? I'm asking you, what do you do? Because ultimately it will be your choice. Do you want to see Tyron fight Leon or do you want to see Tyron fight Colby? We'll see how this plays out, but I think Colby might have just stolen one from Leon. <laughs> I think Colby. I think all Colby wanted to do was fight Tyron. I think all Colby wanted to do was compete. I think all Colby wanted to do was save the day. I think he also. I think he just took Leon's fight. Listen up. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's and your renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the house. Go to GEICO.com. Get a quote. See how much you can save. That's GEICO.com. GEICO.com. How many of you had the good fortune of seeing Tony Ferguson's latest training video. Now, if you haven't, stop what you're doing, including watching this piece, and go do it right now. If you have, did it warm your heart as much as it did mine? And I I also must tell you, if you didn't do it, basically Tony sets up a camera. I mean, Tony is the producer and the star and the writer of this piece of theater, all in one. So your establishing shot is Tony in kind of an open room format. His workout partner is a giant foam block, a square, a little more on the rectangular side of things, I suppose, but he's working out with said block and there becomes a question, what all can you do with a giant foam block? First off, why do you even own one and where did you get it? Secondly. What all can you do with it? Well, if you watch the video, you can do any damn thing you want with it. Tony slid across this thing like he was Bo Duke. He head sprang across it in the other direction. He spit, hit spinning kicks on it. He hit knees. He sliced it up with some elbows. There was some breakdancing element to it. He stood it upright on the tall end, changed elevation, fired a shot, took the son of a bitch all the way down, by the way. Takes this foam block down. He like bounces off the mat. Tony goes one way. Block stays where it was. But there was a little bit more to this. Okay. I have always thought for the last three years of Tony doing these absolutely insane workouts that Tony is doing nothing more than having some fun. Making himself the butt of a joke and having some fun. But here's the problem. If you go and watch what Tony does with this giant block, 
It is extremely athletic and well choreographed. I mean, you could tell that Tony was not just screwing around, turned his camera on, and went and played with the nearest apparatus that he had. No, he had. there was a system. There was a method to this madness. When he slid across it like Bo Duke, turned it over, head springs the next way, comes back, uh, does a kip up off the ground, does a little break dance, comes in with an elbow, hits, hits a, a spinning kick. He had done this before. He had done this many times before. And I'm starting to begin that, no, Tony's just into some weird workouts. And I like the whole thing. And he even captioned it with like active rest day or something like that. So he kind of, he kind of tipped his hand to the crowd that this isn't my version of trying to emulate Khabib. This is me not wanting to sit around on the couch. And at the very least, I get a little timing out of it and I get a good sweat. And I really appreciated that. And I have to tell you, I don't know how many of these crazy workouts he does as supplemental workouts as opposed to what he's doing as his actual workouts. Whatever Tony's doing, I don't know that any of us could disagree with him, though. St. Pierre was doing workouts that nobody thought would translate to a cage fight either. I mean, he was going in there with, with children and working on gymnastics. Okay. I had an old friend, uh, uh, T-Von Abel, one of, the, one of the better wrestlers I ever grew up with. When he had to go lose weight, all the rest of us, we'd jump rope or we'd you know, work and we'd run, sauna. He used to put on a whole bunch of clothes and then turn on some some music and he was a good dancer. He'd go dance and he'd dance for like 40 minutes till he was covered in sweat and then go get on the scale. I'm just saying, some of the greats have their own kind of system and I don't know that we can go and question them. But one of the reasons that I thought Tony was just hustling us all and just having fun, I used to be his teammate. I saw Tony every day and guess what Tony did that was weird? Nothing. He did absolutely nothing. He got to practice on time. He changed his gear. He visited with the guys. Coach says, get warmed up. He gets warmed up. Coach says, work on this move. He works on that move. Coach says, it's time to go live. He goes live. What he would do after all of that was amongst the most dedicated, disciplined, and hardest working athletes I have ever come across. But he was still, he wasn't breakdancing. He wasn't kicking foam blocks. He was grabbing fighters staying in the middle and they'd rotate on he'd stay in and when they all got tired tony would go over to the heavy bag tony would be the absolute last one to leave except for one day one day i said you know what i've had enough i i'm I'm staying until this guy leaves never said a word to tony tony may not know to this day that i was there went and sat down in the corner sat there sat there for 55 minutes until he walked out so that i could see everything this crazy guy did but it was all very standard skills. Working on a heavy bag is very standard. Sparring with partners is very standard. Getting some sprints in, hitting the jump rope. This is all very normal stuff. He just did a lot of it to an extremely impressive amount. My respect for Tony Ferguson changed after seeing this because it was extra. It was on his own. He was showing off for nobody. He was trying to show nobody up. Everybody had left. He thought, except me, I was in the corner. So I'm bringing you guys this story. But I only share that because he wasn't doing, there was none of these goofy things. There was no cameras involved. He wasn't looking for any. I think he's having fun. I think Tony is having a little bit of fun. And there may be, maybe he hasn't thought it through this far, but maybe he has. Maybe Tony wants us all thinking that he's working out with a block. Maybe Tony wants us all thinking that he's, throwing elbows and shadow boxing while skate, uh, skateboarding down Santa Monica Boulevard. Maybe he's being a little bit of a gamesman himself. 
I can tell you, I think he's having some fun. I can also tell you from firsthand experience, he knows how to train the right way. All right, guys, I've had it with you, but I'll be back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Thanks for listening to Your Welcome with Chael Sonnen. Download new episodes every week at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. I survived because I convinced him that I was a person. I survived because I was a smarter person than my assailant. I survived because I I believe God saved me. From the network that brought you the Cold Case Files podcast comes I Survived. He had his right hand held high up in the air, and in that hand was a big knife. The classic stories you know pointed the gun at me and he said, if you don't smoke this, I'm going to kill you. And he forced me to smoke crack. And I said, it looks like dynamite. And he said, if you do not do every single thing we tell you to do, you will disintegrate. With new interviews, updating each woman's story with everything that happens after survival. I was waking up in the middle of the night, standing on top of our bed, screaming, and I was positive he was in the room. I felt like a throwaway person. I didn't think anybody would ever love me again. We talk about the justice system. My testimony, I was not a tearful widow. And I think the jury saw me as someone who was not grieving appropriately. How they started to heal. I know in the black community, there's like this stigma that if you go get help, like there's something wrong with you. I really felt strongly that I needed to just basically give away everything we had and drive to Alaska. And so much more. I don't know. You just have to let people understand that every reaction is normal. And if you survived it, you did the right thing. That which does not kill you will make you stronger. I am so much stronger than I was even before. And I've really enjoyed feeling that way. Surviving is just the beginning of their story. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.